All right, guys. Well, we are going to get into the teaching of the Word. We are actually going to enter into a, a new teaching series that we're going to spend at least three Sundays on, maybe four if it spills over. We'll, we'll see what God does. Uh, but, but this is a, a teaching series that I think is, is very important to us as a church, and, and I will share with you why and, and just be a little transparent with you. Uh, or uh, In 2021... All of us as a church, we were praying for, for Pastor Sid Sumita. Uh, he had gotten COVID really bad. He was in the hospital. They intubated him, so he was unconscious. And as a church, man, we fasted, we prayed, we prophesied. We believed that he was going to wake up. I flew over to Oahu and, and sat in his hospital room and read scriptures over him and laid hands on him and, and prayed for him and, and just absolutely believed he was going to wake up. And he didn't. And when Pastor Sid died, it shook me. It, it really shook me. God, why didn't you heal him? We fasted and we prayed and we went on this journey together. And not just our church, there were churches all over the islands that were pressing in together. And then last year in 2022, Auntie Eileen was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And we know that in the natural, when you get that diagnosis, you tend to die very quickly. But we weren't going to stand for the natural. We pressed in and prayed and we believed and that God was going to touch her and heal her. And we prayed and we went over to her house and we anointed her with oil and we did all of those things. And she didn't get better. She passed away very quickly, just like the natural course of the disease does. And that shook us as a church. And so we've walked through some, some difficult things, and, and because of that, I really felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to press into studying healing, and what does the Bible say about healing, and can we really understand why God heals and why he doesn't heal, and can we as a church reestablish our faith, most importantly, on sound doctrine, that we're going to stand on what the Bible teaches. And, and we're going to believe what the Bible teaches, and we're going to live in faith by what the Bible teaches. And so that was kind of the journey that I went on as I began to study this. And so now I'm going to share that journey with you guys as we teach on healing for the next few weeks. And as we try to find this balance between sound doctrine and faith and wanting to see miracles and wanting to see people healed. So that's my heart. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give you the conclusion of the teaching series right now and then we'll unpack it over the next three Sundays. And I want to read this quote to you from Sam Storms. Sam is a pastor, teacher, author uh, from Oklahoma City. And uh, I just want to read this quote because I believe it encapsulates ultimately where we're going to land in this teaching series. He writes this, Whether or not I ever understand God's ways or reasons for healing or not healing, I will pray for it. Whether or not I ever again witness or personally experience a healing, I will pray for it. In other words, the conclusion to which I came is that I can never justify disobedience to Scripture on the basis of my experience or lack thereof. So that's our conclusion. 
We're going to pray, and we're not going to stop praying, and we're going to keep pressing in, and we're going to keep believing for miracles. We're going to keep believing for healing. We're going to keep having faith for the great things that God does. We're not going to stop, even when we're shaken, when somebody so close to us dies. Come on, there has never been a more faithful saint in the history of the kingdom of God than Nancy Eileen. But God didn't heal her, and we don't know why. But that's not going to stop us from praying for the next person that has pancreatic cancer. I just met, is it John and Naomi? I want to make sure I get that right. I just met them before service, and their pastor in Arizona is in the hospital right now with pancreatic cancer. And I want to pray for their pastor after service or at the end of service today. We're not going to stop praying. Amen? So... We're going to sing a song at the end of the service today. Uh, that's, uh, we're introducing it to the church. Uh, and the song is going to be kind of our theme song for this teaching series as we want our faith to rise up and believe in what God is capable of. But there is a line in the song that says to Jesus, you heal because you love. And I actually took that line for the title of this teaching series, and we're calling it Because He Loves. Because he loves. Matthew 14, 14 says this. When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Why did he heal their sick? Because of the compassion that he felt. Now that phrase, felt compassion, other Bible translations translated as he was moved with compassion. The Greek word, and it's actually a Greek conjunction that Jesus co-opted from the Greek to use for his own purposes. And get this, here's the word, splonknizomai. Come on, that's fun to say, splonknizomai, all right? And literally, in the Greek, this word means to eat my inward parts. So Jesus took the word. He says, I'm going to use it for another purpose. And so it says that Jesus was eating his inward parts, and he healed them. What does it mean? It means that we are so deeply moved, that we are so longing for people in distress, that we feel it deep within our inner parts, right? Detective Pikachu would say, I feel it in my jellies. Okay, so you feel it deep within you, and it moves you to action. So that's what Jesus was expressing. And the interesting thing is that this word that the Bible co-opted from the common Greek is only used either in reference to Jesus or by Jesus. So there's about three times where it says Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed them. And then there was about three times where Jesus used the word sharing parables. Two of those times, he was referring to the figure in the parable that referred to God, right? Either the king or the father in the parable usually referred to God. So, for example, the uh, prodigal son, the father was moved to compassion, splonknizomai. Only one time did Jesus ever use the word in reference to us, and it was the parable of the good Samaritan when they asked Jesus, how do I love my neighbor, or who is my neighbor? And Jesus shared about the religious people that walked by the man who had been beaten and left bleeding on the road, 
And it was the Samaritan who came upon him who was Splonknizomai, who was moved with compassion and took care of the man. So what can we conclude from that? That this word is a description of the divine nature. Because it's always used for Jesus or by Jesus, except the one time it's not, it's teaching how Christ followers are supposed to express his divine nature. So as we dive into this topic of healing, we want to recognize that we serve a God who loves. And we serve a God who loves deeply those who are in distress. It moves his inward parts. And then he has called us to love just as deeply. And to be just as moved. So with that, let's take a look at your notes. Part one of this series is called In and Through. Why? Because you can see in the big picture point there in your notes, we find healing in the atonement and through the atonement. And understanding the distinction between the two is important when it comes to having sound doctrine. So that's what we're going to dive into today. We're going to look at some of the false doctrine, and then we're going to dive into the atonement and understand what does it mean that we have healing in the atonement and through the atonement. So let's start with some false doctrines. Let's look at those first two blanks in your notes, okay? Two of the, uh, the most common false doctrines that are kind of either end of the spectrum when it comes to healing. The first one is triumphalism, not Trumpism. That's a whole other false doctrine we have to deal with, okay? But triumphalism. And the doctrine of triumphalism says this, that we will receive every promise of God and every victory in this life. Meaning, we live a life completely free of sickness, suffering, sin, and persecution. Right? That's triumphalism. You always get healed. You always get the breakthrough. You always get the answer to your prayer. You always get delivered from sin. You always get the, you know what I mean? Like that, that's triumphalism. It says that you get every promise of God in this life. It's a false doctrine. The opposite end of the spectrum then is defeatism. And defeatism is the doctrine that says that the only promise we're guaranteed in this life is the forgiveness of sins, leaving us merely to endure hardship and live a pragmatic life, right? So defeatism basically says life sucks and then you die, but at least you get to go to heaven when you die. That's defeatism, right? We just have to live by principles. We just have to do everything pragmatically, and we just got to put our head down and just bear it, and eventually we'll get to heaven. All right, we don't want to live at either end of this spectrum. They're both false doctrines. But I actually want to spend more time on triumphalism because... In the vein of churches that we're a part of, which would be charismatic, Pentecostal, Arminian churches, we're more likely to run into triumphalism than we are defeatism. And so I want to make sure we address this so that you know it when you hear it, so that you can discern it, and, and so that you can understand even kind of where it comes from and, and what it's all about. So let's look at some of the most common declarations of triumphalism. Here's one of them. God never makes anyone sick. That's a declaration of triumphalism. God never makes anyone sick. I don't know. Like when I read the Bible, 
I read that God dislocated Jacob's hip and left him walking with a limp for the rest of his life. I read that God covered the Egyptians with boils on their skin. I read that God gave Miriam leprosy. I read that God closed Hannah's womb so that she couldn't get pregnant. I read that God struck Paul with blindness. I read that Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in church for lying to the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what Bible you're reading when you can declare that God never makes anyone sick. Right? Sickness can be a part of the judgment or the purposes that God uses. Another declaration of triumphalism is this. Jesus always healed everyone in his earthly ministry, so he always heals everyone today. So Jesus, thank you, Max. I appreciate that. So there are a few times in the Bible where it says Jesus healed them all, right? Matthew 12, 15. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all. Luke 6, 19. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Acts 10.38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So there are definitely places in the Bible where it says Jesus healed them all. But it doesn't always say he healed them all. In Mark chapter 1, when he was in Capernaum, it says, When every evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And verse 34, and he healed many of them. Right? So this idea, well, if Jesus healed them all then, then he's going to heal us all now. Well, listen, even the apostles didn't heal them all. One time it says Paul healed them all. When he was on the island of Malta, he healed the guy who was in charge of the island of Malta. And then it says they brought all of their sick to them and to him and he healed them. So there's only one instance where we see that Paul healed them all. In fact, think about this. There were three companions of Paul. One of them was Epaphroditus. In Philippians chapter 2, we learn that Epaphroditus, when he actually left Philippi and went to Paul in prison to bring a, a financial gift and also a gift of ministry and encouragement from the church at Philippi, that Epaphroditus fell sick. And he was sick for a long time, even to the point of death. And Paul says it was only by God's mercy that he survived. And eventually Epaphroditus got better, and then Paul sent him back to Philippi. But he was with Paul for a long time, sick, almost died, and Paul never healed him. What about Trophimus, one of Paul's companions? In 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul says, I left Trophimus in Miletus because he was sick. He actually left one of his traveling party behind because he was too sick to travel. And Paul didn't heal him. Well, what about Timothy, one of Paul's sons in the faith? Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Drink a little wine every day for your stomach and your many ailments. So Timothy had many ailments. And Paul didn't heal him. He said, Just drink a little wine every day so your stomach feels better. 
So these are three companions of Paul who were all mighty men of God. They were faithful in ministry. They were men of integrity and character. They had anointing for ministry. And Paul didn't heal them. See, we get this, you know, fantasy idea that life in the Bible was like these people were just all victorious and it was just all miracles all the time, all day long. When in reality, they lived life a lot like we did. And they had ailments and they had sicknesses. And yes, miracles happened and we want to press in for miracles, but they didn't always happen. Another declaration of triumphalism is this, and this one actually makes me angry. God cannot be glorified in your sickness. Why does this make me angry? Because two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, Gino stood up here and absolutely rocked this place with his testimony. And Gino is still disabled, and yet God is glorified in Gino's life. And then when Gino was done, Pat stood up and shared testimony about Max and all the miracles that God has done in Max's life. And Max is still disabled, and yet God is glorified. Come on. I want to share with you about my friend Aaron. I got a picture here. I don't know if it's going to go up on the live stream or not, but this is my buddy Aaron. Together, we're Aaron and Aaron. Aaron squared. I always tell him all the cool kids are named Aaron. Aaron and I are pretty much the same age. I think he might be one year younger than me. And you can tell from the picture that Aaron has Down syndrome. But at City Harvest Church, Aaron and I were best buds. And I tell you what, there is nobody I have ever met that prays like Aaron. Aaron has a prayer journal. Now keep in mind, he can't read or write. But he has a prayer journal. And if he wants something in it, he'll either ask his mom to write it or he'll just scribble it down and he knows what it means. And it is a special blessing to be in Aaron's prayer journal. Because when he's praying for you, man, God moves. And at worship on Sundays, when he gets fired up, he starts jumping up and down and running around the sanctuary. And I have never seen anyone so full of faith and so full of love for Jesus. And if you were to go up to Aaron and say, Aaron, can I pray for you to be healed? You know what he will tell you? I don't need to be healed. Come on, I get angry when people say God can't be glorified in your sickness, in your disability, in your affliction. So what are the dangers of triumphalism? I will say this, and I just want to be very honest. And I'm not going to name any specific church or any specific preacher because that's not what I'm about. But churches that press into triumphalism, they see lots of miracles and lots of salvations. Way more than our church does. So who am I to try to say something bad about them, right? All of the, 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 the triumphalist preachers of the healing movements of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, they saw lots of healings, but not everyone got healed. So what are the dangers of triumphalism? Well, the first one is this. It's not sound doctrine. And so, yes, there are churches that are seeing lots of miracles and lots of salvations, but they're not teaching sound doctrine. Why does that matter? Because if you're teaching people to believe one falsehood, you're setting them up to be more susceptible to be deceived by more falsehoods. And that is dangerous. 
It's not sound doctrine. The second reason it's dangerous is because it can put people under the bondage of works. Right? Because what they will do is they will point to Jesus in his hometown. It says he could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so they will say the only time Jesus didn't heal everybody is when they didn't have faith. And so if Jesus isn't healing you, it's because of your lack of faith. And what does that do? That puts bondage on people. I've got to work harder. I've got to study more. I've got to have more faith. I've got to pray the right way. I've got to follow this formula. I've got to follow that formula. What's wrong with me? And it puts bondage on people. Come on. The gospel puts freedom on people, not bondage. Another danger of triumphalism is that it can disappoint and dishearten people. Because they get brought into the kingdom on the promise that they're going to get every prayer answered. And when they don't, they get disillusioned with God and they say, wait a minute, this isn't what I was told. This isn't what I signed up for. And then finally, another danger of triumphalism is that it can cause people to miss seeing how God is loving them. And we're going to unpack this one more next Sunday. But when we expect that God's only going to answer our prayer this way, we miss all the ways that God is loving us through the process. All right, are you guys still with me? Have I messed up anybody's theology yet? Anybody mad at me yet? Hallelujah. All right. So as I said, let's talk about healing and the atonement. The atonement is like the core foundational theology of the Bible. It's, it's the thing upon which the entire Bible rests. So let's make sure that we have a right understanding of the atonement. So in the Old Testament, they had a day of atonement. Only one day a year that the high priest would go through the veil into the most holy place to put blood upon the Ark of the Covenants as an atonement, Right? So they had a day of atonement. Then, of course, they also killed animals every day, every morning, and every evening, every day, all year long. But let's talk about what atonement means in the New Testament. And I believe the best passage that we can most clearly understand is Romans 5, 9 through 11. So let's take a look at it. Paul writes this, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Other translations can actually say, through whom we have now received the atonement. So I put this in your notes. Actually, did I put this in your notes? The definition of the atonement? Yes, okay. So based off of that passage of Scripture, here's the definition that I wrote of the atonement. Jesus Christ, by shedding his blood and giving his life on the cross, absorbed the wrath of God for sin in our place and reconciled us into right relationship with God. Absorbed and reconciled. Right, So because Jesus died on the cross, all of the wrath of God that we deserved because of our sin and our disobedience, Jesus absorbed it all and reconciled us into right relationship with God. So the atonement means the replacement. 
Jesus took our place. And because he took our place, we can now live with God. So how do we understand healing in the atonement? Well, the first thing we do is we look to Old Testament types of the atonement. The word type means that something that happened before is symbolic of something that is to come. So it's not a metaphor because it's something that actually happened, right? A metaphor is like you just make something up, right? But a type means it's something that actually happened that is a symbol for something that is to come. And so the something that is to come is the atonement we have in Jesus. But there were many types in the, in the Old Testament that foreshadowed what we were going to have in Jesus, such as the Passover lamb, right? We just celebrated the Passover Seder a couple of weeks ago. The symbolism was so deep. It was so amazing to, to go through that together. Right, So the Passover lamb, the Jews were to slaughter the lamb. They were to put the blood on the doorposts so that the judgment of God would pass over their house and not touch their house. And then they were to eat the lamb that night. Why? Because the next morning they had a long journey and God wanted their bodies to be strengthened for the long journey. So they were to eat the lamb. So we now know that Jesus is our Passover lamb, which means when we have the blood of Jesus, judgment passes over us. We are not judged for our sins. But that when we have the body of Jesus, just like the blood of the lamb and the flesh of the lamb, when we have the body of Jesus, we can have the strength and the wholeness in our body. So the Passover lamb was a type of the healing we find in the atonements. How about the year of Jubilee? We've studied this before as a church. The year of Jubilee, every 50th year, they would declare freedom to the captives, the restoration of all things. It was this glorious celebration. And then when Jesus showed up, he said, I have come to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. So Jesus' ministry is a Jubilee ministry. Are you guys with me? Well, listen. The year of Jubilee did not start on the first day of the first month of the year. The year of Jubilee started on the day of atonement. When the priest went into the most holy place, he came out and announced the Jubilee. So all of the promises that we have, all of the Jubilee promises and the Jubilee ministry of Jesus, right, to, to let the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak and the captive set free and the brokenhearted comforted, all starts with the atonement. And then our third type was the bronze serpents. I'm, I skipped that one, Antonio. The bronze serpents. In Numbers 21, we read about that God sent a judgment of serpents into the camp of Israel because they had rebelled against God. And the serpents were deadly poisonous. And so they started getting snake bites, and they were dying from their snake bites. And they began to cry out to Moses and Aaron, we know this is from God. Please help us. Stop this. And so God told Moses, I want you to set up a standard. And we know that a standard looks an awful lot like a cross. I want you to set up a standard, and I want you to put a bronze serpent on it. And when the people look at the bronze serpents, they won't die from their snake bites. 
And then Jesus in John chapter 3 said, Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert, so I will be lifted up, so that everyone who looks to me will find eternal life. So the bronze serpent was a type of Jesus, that when we look to him, we are forgiven of our rebellion and we are healed of our snake bites. There is healing in the atonements. All right, so those are all types. Now let's dig into this real quick here, these scriptures. Isaiah 53 is probably the most beautiful prophetic word describing the atonements. And a part of that prophetic word in verses 4 and 5 says this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Other translations, instead of saying griefs and sorrows, actually says our pains and our sicknesses. He bore and he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. So we see right here the healing in the atonement. He doesn't just bear our sins, he also bears our sicknesses. And we can find healing in his broken body. The apostle Matthew confirmed this in Matthew 8, 16, and 17. He said, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and guess what? And healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So Matthew is confirming in the New Testament that Isaiah's prophecy in the Old Testament promised that there is healing in the atonements. Let's go to Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Then it begins to list the benefits. The benefits of what? The atonements. What are those benefits? Who pardons all your iniquities, right? He forgives all your sin. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. All of those things are benefits of the atonement. And you're going to say, well, wait a second, pastor. It just said that he heals all the sicknesses. So doesn't that mean that we all get healed in the atonements? Yes, but you have to understand the Hebrew perspective. Exodus 15, 26. And he said, he being God, and he said... If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. Remember, God made them sick. For I, the Lord, am your healer. So what is God saying here in the Old Testament law? is he's saying that if you will be obedient to my word and live under my law, which was the Levitical law, which is what their day of atonement came from, then I will not put the curse of sickness upon you that I put upon the Egyptians. 
So the way that the Hebrews understood this is that when they came into the atonement, any sickness that had to do with their sin was healed. And that's what it meant in Psalm 103 when it says, He heals all your sicknesses is that any sickness related to sin is healed the moment you receive the atonement, the curse that I put upon the Egyptians. This is why in James 5.16, James wrote, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There is healing in the confession of our sins and the repentance of our sins. So what does this mean? It means that any time that there is a judgment upon our life because of sin, so we're sick because of sin or we're being afflicted because of sin or we're experiencing any of that because of sin, that when we confess that sin and we repent of it and we return to the grace of Jesus, that we are healed. And so a lot of times people struggle with this because they ask themselves the question, am I sick because I'm doing something wrong? And the enemy wants to come in and use this as a way to bring shame upon us. I'm sick because I'm doing something wrong. I want to take that shame away by declaring the truth of Scripture, and that is this. If you are sick because of sin... The Bible promises that the moment you pray and confess and repent of your sin, the atonement heals that sin. That means that if you confess and repent and pray and you don't get healed, then your sickness isn't because of sin. Are we good with that? So you don't have to live under shame. So that's what I mean by healing in the atonements is that every sickness and plague in our life that is the result of sin is healed the moment we confess, repent, and submit to Christ. So if you've got a sickness in your life and you're thinking, is this because of my sin? Then let's bring our sin to the altar. Let's confess and repent and do what the Bible says, which is pray for one another, and you will be healed. And if you do all of that and you're not healed, then your sickness wasn't because of sin. And you don't need to walk under that shame or that bondage. Amen? So that is the healing that happens instantly. Is any sickness that is a curse because of your sin. But there is also healing through the atonement. Which means the promise of healing is always available because of Christ's work. But we don't always get it when we want or how we want but it's always available because of what Jesus did, right? So the promises of the atonement are always available, but we don't always see them. We don't always receive them. Why not? Well, I'm out of time, so I'm going to answer that question next Sunday. (laughs) Got to keep you coming back to church. Come on. Got to keep you coming back. And going back to Pat's testimony, right, Max has seen miracle after miracle after miracle, but he's not fully healed. But Pat is still standing on a prophetic word that God spoke to her about Max's healing. But she's not getting it the way she wants or in the timing that she wants, but she knows that because of the atonement, it's available. And because she knows it's available, she keeps on praying for it. And we as a church keep on praying for it because it's always available. Amen?
So I want to lift up our faith today. It's always available. And just like I read at the beginning with Sam Storms, even though we don't always see it, we're always going to pray for it. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. We're going to let God have his work. Let me have the worship team come back up today. And let me read two quotes to you as, as we wrap this up. The first is from a Scottish preacher from the 1800s. Let me go back and find this because I'm way out of order in my notes now. Here it is. His name was Robert Murray McShane. He was actually a small rural pastor in a little village in Scotland. But he had way more influence on the world after his death than he did in his life. Because he was in a small village, not really very many people knew him. But after he died, they published his memoirs. And his memoirs are still in print today because the things he wrote were so powerful. And this is one of the things that he wrote. Affliction brings out graces that cannot be seen in a time of health. It is the treading of the grapes that brings out the sweet juices of the vine. So it is affliction that draws forth submission, weanedness from the world, and complete rest in God. So use afflictions while you have them. So when we're afflicted, absolutely, we're going to pray for healing over and over again. We're going to knock and keep on knocking. But while we're waiting for our healing, let's allow that affliction to have its work in us, drawing us to submission to Christ, breaking us of the love of the world, drawing us to find complete rest in him. Let's use the affliction while we have it. And the second quote I want to give you is from F.F. F. Bosworth, who said this, All the promises of God, including the promise to heal, owe their existence and power exclusively to the redeeming work of Christ. So we're not going to get into defeatism that says we don't have any promises. We have a lot of promises, and they're good, and every single one of them is available through the atonement. It doesn't mean we get every single one, but we can live with the faith to know that every single promise is available through the atonement. So we're not going to stop praying. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do things backwards. Usually we pray and then we sing a song. So today we're going to flip it up. We're going to sing a song first and then we're going to pray. Why? Because I want this song to lift up our faith. Because this song is our declaration of this teaching series, which is God is too good to not believe. Yeah. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to have faith for the promises. I've seen him do it before, so don't you dare tell me that he can't do it. Because I know he can. And we don't always see it, but when we do, it's glorious. And we're going to keep pressing in for it. Hallelujah. So we're going to sing this song. We're going to make this declaration. We're going to let our faith rise up. And then we're going to have our altar team come forward. And in this atmosphere of faith, we're going to pray for healing today. Amen? So let's stand together and let's worship.